Hi, this is Bob Trump. Welcome to the Ship to Shore podcast and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. On this show today, we're speaking to Andy Maker, the former colleague of mine at the Philadelphia Inquirer and a fellow who has been covering uh, maritime affairs in Philadelphia uh, for a bit and uh, has on his radar what may seem like a fairly boring topic, but it's, it, trust me, it's not. Uh, Andy, what, uh, what were you covering uh, on the Delaware River uh, in the, the story I read the other day that uh, uh, I didn't at first realize that you had, uh, had written? But uh, what's, what's, what's the uh, project we want to actually explain to people and get them excited about? Well, Bob, I, I was doing a story uh, on the dredging of the, the Delaware River channel, the deepening of the channel from 40 to 45 feet. And this is a story that's been around in Philadelphia for decades, for almost as long as I can remember. Um, it's like one of those, it's like the I-95 uh, reconstruction project. It just always seems to be there in, in, in the news. I was, thinking, so was, I, was, I was thinking of the big dig up in Boston, if you remember that, that seemed to go on forever and ever uh, yeah. and never finish. Yeah, well, like these long uh, public uh, works projects that take a long time to get approved, there's a lot of opposition, and then finally it gets underway, and then even then it drags out for, you know, other uh, reasons, and now we're finally nearing the, the end of the, the line. Just to, just to get a feel for, for this, uh, uh, the, the massiveness of uh, this one regional project, when, when did it start roughly, and what's the, what's the rough price tag overall? Well, I mean, they began talking about this in the 1980s. It, it got approved by Congress in 1992, uh, and then uh, it was held up in court and for various funding reasons. And, and dredging finally began in 2010, so it's just now getting done. So, so the price tag initially was was $300 million, and it's, it's, it's since risen to about 400 Incredible, and uh, what's the uh, what's what's the project itself? Uh, it uh, again, it sounds uh, you know dredging sounds like drudgery, uh, and in fact, there is a, a lot of grind to this. Where you're, you're as I recall, you're you're deepening the uh, the channel uh, in the middle of the Delaware River and uh, and bay system. Uh, that runs up to the ports of Philadelphia, which is 102 nautical miles or somewhere in that range. Um, but uh, what, the significance of it, I believe, is it takes it down five more feet. And, and what does that allow uh, the ports to do that they weren't doing before? Well, it, it allows them to bring in, you know, bigger vessels and, and, and more heavily uh, laden vessels that, you know, to unload in the port of Philadelphia. So it makes the port more attractive to um, shippers to come into Philadelphia um, in, in the kind of the ever never ending quest for greater efficiencies and more throughput and shorter times at the, you know, at the wharfs. Um, so that it was just it was seen as a it, it, in a way for Philadelphia to maintain some competitiveness with other uh, ports on the uh, east or east coast. You know that they needed to you know get their channel up deep deep enough to you know be on the same level as uh, uh, you know Baltimore, or New York, uh, Wilmington. Well, Wilmington is part of the port port of Philadelphia, but um, 
and, and others like that. But it's uh, it's highly competitive, right? I, there, uh, are they still specializing in sort of uh, fruit inputs uh, imports from uh, uh, South America and things like that? Yeah, that, that's really the, the the niche that Philadelphia has uh, a competitive you know edge on uh, other ports around. I mean, they're they're also bringing in a, a fair amount of you know container cargo on on top of refrigerated cargo, and and that has uh, I mean kind of an interesting. Side note to this whole project is that when uh, it was originally conceived, they were they were looking at a at a port in which I think uh, oil imports uh, to the Philadelphia area refineries amounted to about eighty percent of the cargo coming in and out of uh, of the port, and containers were a much smaller percentage of the traffic. Um, so the, the the big oil tankers come in; they they need to uh, they're, they're too they they have too much draft in order to, to reach the, the refineries that are close into the city of Philadelphia. So their, their cargoes are, are lightered out in the bay, meaning that they, they actually switch some of the, the cargo over into smaller vessels in order to raise the, the level of the, the, the tanker to bring it up uh, into the, the port. Um, with a deeper channel, they can either make it all the way into the refineries themselves without having to lighter, or they need less lightering you know, to go on. So there's a cost savings there. Uh, but originally that was seen as being the main part of the cargo coming in. And, and it's really turned quite, you know, around almost, you know, 180 degrees since then is that the cargo coming in is now primarily containers. A lot of that, a lot of that is fruit. Uh, and the oil refineries, since there are fewer refineries now than there were 20 or 30 years ago, um, amount to less of the, you know, the cargo traffic. That, that is a big change from my day uh, covering uh, covering the port because it was so massively tilted towards uh, oil oil imports and Marcus Hook in, in that area. Uh, but, but probably good news for the local economy in terms of um, the bulk cargos don't really provide as many land jobs as uh, container unloading, um, as I recall. So that's that probably... Uh, is is popular among uh, international longshoremen's local something or another. Uh, yeah, there's a lot more. I mean, handling of cargo, uh, you know, the containerized cargo, even or you know, on shore in the in the ports. I mean, the the oil comes in. I mean, it's, it's a necessary part of keeping the refinery operating, obviously, and and those are big economic engines in their own right. So whenever a refinery is shut down, there's uh, employment associated with that 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 goes away. Uh, the uh, the the oil imports. Uh, when I was a maritime writer, allowed me to uh, um, uh, get a great trip in, <laughs> where I, I was able to convince the editors that I should go over to to Tunisia and ride a a tanker all the way back. Uh, and it, it as it turned out, it was. Uh, uh, an Italian uh, crude uh, uh, t- a tanker with uh, Italian officers and crew, and uh, uh, if nothing else, it was a wonderful feast for two weeks. It was a great, uh, it, it was a great uh, trip uh, and and fun to do. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say you probably, yeah, no doubt, ate very well on yeah, that voyage. Yes, yes, and the other, uh, the other thing. Uh, I would do Andy is if things were uh, um, were slow on the beat. There was what I call the boat ride of the week, 
which is I would go down to Lewis, Delaware, where the big ships come in and take the pilot boat out. And uh, if there was an interesting ship, I would ride it up to ride, ride it up to port. Um, so that was uh, that was the fun part of the beat. I'm sure that you've you, you found a lot of fun parts in it as well. Yeah, and part of that was actually, and on this story, was getting out in a, in a dredge in the in the Delaware for a few hours, and, and you know, getting to talk with uh, the folks with the Great Lakes uh, Dredge and Dock Company who owned the, the the dredge New York that was doing the work that I was watching. I I think I told you I had started reading this story, uh, and in, it was online. And as these things go, you see the headline and the subject matter, and and. I was attracted to it because I, I was interested in the Delaware River system. But as a maritime, uh, as a guy who covered maritime, when I see something in the in the general press, I almost immediately go into critic mode. So I started reading your story and 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 uh, you're, you're saying some things early on and I'm saying, oh yeah, well, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, there's questions here you haven't asked. And then two paragraphs down, I see. Oh well, wait. He did ask. He did ask that question. He did answer it, and that happened two or three times. I said, "This this guy's pretty good. Where did he come from?" And then I went up and, and saw the byline and uh, realized it was the the Philadelphia Inquirer and and uh, uh, and, and you writing it. Um, but you really touched on that uh, uh, that story. You really touched, I think, on all of the. Uh, uh, the elements to it. Uh, w- one was the degree of difficulty where they'd uh, uh, they'd done all of the studies and then what realized that they were facing solid rock. Um, yeah, I, I have to tell you is that when I first heard about you know the, the dredging of the the, the Delaware River, uh, that you know the impression I have about dredging is that you know you're just scooping mud out. You know there's sediments that come downstream and it's just a matter of coming out there and sucking this stuff out and, you know, moving it, you know, either onto, you know, to land and, uh, you know, in, into some place where you, it's just a matter of bringing up basically dirt. Uh, and so, you know, I hadn't thought about the geology so much, but, you know, as you go deeper into the, uh, the riverbed and, and you have to understand is that the Delaware river, uh, itself has been deepened over the last, you know, 120 years from an original depth of 17 to 24 feet deep to now 45 feet deep, uh, that at some point you're actually going to start running into rock down there. And, and there's, a, there's about a 10-mile stretch of the river below Philadelphia where uh, there was quite a bit of rock and as they, as they uh, dredged into it and they began, you know, excavating that, uh, they found that it was a little more durable and difficult to get out than originally expected. So that was the, the, the nature of the story that I was doing on it. Part of the delays were, were actually they had to call in the reinforcements, bring back the uh, Dredge New York, which is specialized, has the equipment to be able to deal with this sort of really hard rock. And, and I think you said at, at some point, at least, they were blasting uh, which I find incredible that they would be in, in such a populated area. They would be uh, setting off uh, explosives like that. But I'm assuming it's controlled and, and there weren't thousands of fish floating belly up. Uh, but maybe I'm assuming too much. Yeah, well, uh, I wasn't actually at during the time that they were doing the blasting, but I've seen videos of it. Uh, they're restricted to do it during uh, the, the winter, about four winter months, because that's when the sturgeon runs are, are at their lowest. And, 
And I, th I think that the, before there's blasting that goes on, that there's some signals, you know, given to, in order to, uh, you know, to any sort of um, sea life to, you know, basically to alert them or to scare them out of the, the area. Uh, but the, the, the use of explosives is, is, is you know, sophisticated. And, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of drilling that's involved. There's charges placed in the in the excavations or in these in these drill holes in the in the riverbed and then it's all set off and on the surface of the water it it looks like you know kind of there's a there's a momentary rise and, and ripple and in, in, in the water as the charge goes on but it's not like there's a big towering you know mushroom cloud of, of water that goes up <laughs> got it got it um the the uh your your uh Reference to the uh, sturgeon uh, sort of segues into the other part of this. I mean, you have uh, you, you, you see dredging affecting the, you know, the commerce, jobs on land, uh, and in uh, uh, the economy of the region in general. But but there's also the environmental um, question, and it's and it's not just uh, sturgeons. Uh, how how do they uh, deal with the uh, spoils and uh, how, uh, and and where those are kept. I know that that's that can be a big issue, um, and, and I'm wondering if uh, if if they uh, were able to reconcile the various interests that exists that to uh, to make sure that the spoils were. Uh, taken care of yeah they uh that was a that was a big part of the legal challenges that went on uh against this project were the concerns that uh, by you know dredging the, the river that you were going to uh be pulling up all sorts of you know hazardous materials that had settled into the into the riverbed over over the industrial you know america pcbs um and there was also concern that you know that well the, sort of the blasting and what what effect that would have on marine life. There were other concerns about you know effects on tides and the salt line, how how high up it goes into the river. Um, they they kind of sorted all that stuff out, and, and a lot of that you know you get you get the sense from uh, you know with the Corps of Engineers or the Port of Philadelphia that a lot of the environmental arguments against it they they feel were more motivated more by a, uh, an agenda to block the project no matter what because their, their evidence for this is that at the same time the Philadelphia project was going on the New York port was uh, dredging the you know the Hudson River and, and the port of you know the ports of New York and New Jersey uh, which involved um, actual sediments that were far worse than what you would encounter in, in and the Philadelphia or the Delaware River, I guess the spoils there were so, in some cases, so bad they actually had to be treated as hazardous waste. And yet, and yet, it didn't attract the sort of attention from, uh, you know, environmental groups or the state of New Jersey, which sued to block the Delaware River dredging, but not the the the, the Port of New York. So it's kind of like a matter of, you know, which one had, was more in political favor. Um, but anyway, they they've, they've they settled a lot of that out. The the the, the, the smaller spoils or the, the mud, the sediment, and all that is is for the most part taken to federal, um, you know, U.S. Army uh, Corps um, disposal areas where it, it it's pumped up and then the, the the water is allowed to drain out, and you're left with a kind of you know a really fine uh, 
mineral this material is is it's dirt it's very it's, it's it's i mean we were driving around in a pickup truck and got stuck in it and it had to be towed out that's how how fine it is um but um and then the the, the heavy rocks which they you know they can't pump that stuff up uh, onto land or are taken out into some uh, areas in delaware bay where they're 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 building reef areas, and it's it's disposed of there. It's always uh, been fascinating to me how the uh, the different parts of the river system and the environment uh, uh, can can play off of each other. Um, one of one of my favorite stories way back was uh, as they began cleaning up the Delaware, and it has been cleaned up uh, immensely. There there was a time, you know, post World War II, where the Navy was reluctant to bring ships up to the Navy Yard in uh, uh, the Philadelphia area because all the brass would turn black from the sulfurous fumes that were coming off the river. It was that it was that polluted, um, and all of that you know kind of got cleaned up. And by the 1980s, when I was covering it, and everyone was sort of uh, celebrating the the rebirth of the river, which everyone should. But one of the things they didn't understand was that all of the wooden wharfing and the pilings in the river, they had existed in an anaerobic, no oxygen condition for for decades. So they were perfectly preserved. And then oxygen was reintroduced into the water and they started crumbling into the into the river and they had to have all of this uh, uh, redoing of it. I, I always thought that was a... Uh, uh, some sort of lesson about uh, un- unexpected uh, manifestations and and uh, uh, I I hadn't heard that before, but that's kind of uh, yeah, it's amusing. So you get, finally have oxygen in your river, but yeah, here's the yeah, downside. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, but um, well, 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 one of the things about this this rock, uh, an aspect that I was working on in the story also that I, I mean my my area of expertise also is is in energy and so i'm really fascinated with the refineries and the traffic of you know both you know electricity and also the refined products and the pipelines in the area is that underneath the the, the delaware river itself um is there there are like 30 utility crossings there's a there's an awful lot of, of pipelines that cross over from these refineries or or, or the big interstate uh, natural gas lines, or even a fiber optic cable from uh, Comcast that goes under the river. In most cases, these have been horizontally drilled through the rock under the river, uh, so they're you know outside the area where any sort of ship would ever come in contact with them. But as you dredge, as you go from 40 down to 45 feet, and actually in the in the case of the rock, they take it down to 47 feet because it just has a little you know extra uh, margin of error there. Um, you start coming closer to these pipelines that are underneath there. And so that became an issue, particularly with the, the blasting. You don't want to be blasting over, right. you know, a, a natural gas pipeline that is, you know, <laughs> you know, moving, you know, 24 inch diameter thing that, you know, has enough natural gas in it to launch a, you know, a Saturn V, you know, missile or yes. something. So um, that's where they got into a lot of more complications with, you know, involving, hammering the stuff over. They brought over a big uh, hydraulic hammer from, you know, Europe and, and attached it to the to the uh, dredge in order to, you know, break up this rock and bring it out. But uh, that 
that fell off at one point. I mean, I kind of like that part of the story where the engineers were actually talking about these sort of frustrations. These are, you know, like real world engineering issues. And so they had to bring the, the hammer back up and rework all of that. Um, anyway, it all adds time and money to the job. Was the ship named Thor? <laughs> no, this was, well, the one I was on was the New York, the Thor. Well, with the lost hammer, that's all. <laughs> yeah. Ah, you got me so, on that. I, it, it's not that I'm, uh, you know, a scholar of uh, Nordic uh, uh, literature. I, I, I watch too many Marvel uh, uh, comic book movies, I think. But uh, uh, so what... Um, what is the state of it now that uh, uh, are, are they are they about to finish up? I think I saw an article by another colleague, Linda Lloyd, uh, about the last thirty two million dollars being appropriated. Uh, yeah, that, I think that that may have been like from uh, uh, a little while ago. Um, they, they did get the last appropriation in November. Um, so at, at this stage, what they're doing is the, the last, I think it's 150,000 cubic yards out of, out of 16 million cubic yards of material they're taking down. They're down to the last 150,000. Uh, and I think they were, they were hoping to get it done by February, March. Now, the, the, the court tells me that they're, they're funded on this, so they haven't been affected by the, better, the federal shutdown. So um, it it's, may still be going on. They're also dealing with a deadline is that the the New York, this 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 heavyweight, you know, dredge is is committed to um, go work in another port. Uh, I think in Jacksonville in in March. So I mean, those things are booked, and and you have to get you sure. know, kind of you know get your flight scheduled. Another fascinating thing in your uh, in your story was, uh, <laughs> and to and to a degree that really surprised me. I mean, I'm aware that uh, the port. Of business is highly competitive, and uh, if New Jersey can take cargoes from Philadelphia, they will. And if uh, Wilmington, Delaware can take them from either, uh, they will. But I was a little surprised that it was uh, uh, kind of as cutthroat as it was, where where Wilmington and or the Delaware and New Jersey actually opposed the dredging. Um, won't they get benefit from it? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't want to pay for it. Part of it, I think that. Well, I think New New Jersey as a as a state was, but their 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 emphasis that the the port of New York is gets far more cargo traffic than Philadelphia. So that's their emphasis is on that. That's where the real political might is in the, the maritime industry. Uh, so they were they were opposing it for for that reason, and then also they didn't want to pay a share of it, um, and. Uh, Delaware, the same thing, although Delaware has gets no benefit at all from any ships that go past Wilmington and continue on up. So um, that's that's probably part of their reason. I mean, the there's an interesting kind of subtext that's going on with the uh, the, the ports here. You know, the, the, the ports of New York and New Jersey are all merged together under one public agency. So there's no kind of internal squabbling or competition amongst them because they're all under one umbrella and in Philadelphia and Delaware and New Jersey and on the Delaware River um, there's a lot of there's private ownership there's public ownership you know they've got a lot of ports I mean the port of Wilmington also has refrigerated you know traffic so it's competing with Philadelphia for some of that um, 
And Wilmington or the Port of Wilmington recently uh, has, you know, signed an agreement with Gulf Tainer out of the uh, United Arab Emirates out of Dubai to, you know, come in. And, and they're planning on investing, you know, $600 million in order to upgrade that port. Um, and that represents, I think, probably a real competitive uh you know, challenge to Philadelphia because this is, you know, it's, you know, you can, a ship coming in can save a couple of hours uh, coming up the river and turning around if they're, you know, dropping off cargo in, in uh, Wilmington. And potentially Wilmington is the, is sort of the last bridge that crosses the, the Delaware. So um, uh, as, as these bigger ships, these bigger Panama, post Panamax ships actually also not only increase in depth but also in height uh you might get to the point where you know the the, the largest ships will will discharge before they you know right before they get to the downtown wilmington before they hit that first bridge so those are competitive advantages there and you can kind of see the in a, in a long term there's going to be uh, a lot more uh jousting going on there i remember um uh, occasionally, I assume it's, this still happens, but you'll have you'll have large cruise ships and cruise liners come up the the Delaware River, and the the QE two could not make it past the Walt Whitman Bridge. It had to come in at uh, Packer Avenue Terminal. Um, so that's the that's the downside of uh, tall ships, I guess. Yeah. Well, that was uh, that the the New York dredging project was really fascinating because you know they spent two billion dollars dredging the channel in order to take it up to um, fifty feet in depth there. But you also the in order to get into the the, the major you know port in in in, New, in Newark, uh, you have to go under the Bayonne Bridge, uh, and that was just too low. And they spent another one point seven billion dollars to actually raise the deck of that bridge fifty feet. It was it was a huge huge project. Um, that's all to you know get ships in there to you know to clear it. So by comparison, Philadelphia's project for you know four hundred million dollars is you know kind of chump change. Yeah, no, that's uh, uh, that that is a huge amount. That's that's almost a wall across the uh, border of the southern United States. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> Almost. Uh, well, what's the uh, what's the uh, optimum depth now for a ship? Uh, is it is it fifty feet or? I mean, I know the tankers could go to like sixty, even beyond that. But for a, a container ship, cargo ship, is that is that the optimum depth now around fifty? I think fifty. Although you know, I mean, the like the port, you know, Norfolk is 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 wants to dredge up to fifty five. There's of course there's a lot of you know naval vessels that go in there as well. So um, I think I mean fifty is sort of the target that most places are using for these big container ships now. I was always fascinated on the the role that uh, uh, technology could play in the types of cargoes that were shipped. Um, at one point, at least, uh, along with the fruit that was coming up from uh, Chile and South America, there was a there was a development in how you could actually ship flowers uh, by sea, and and th they were able to do that by putting it in uh, a nitrous uh, a nitrogen atmosphere, so that the the roses and uh, uh, other flowers that were growing in Chile just, you know, more or less kept their uh, uh, their their freshness, 
and you could uh, you could you could ship them in bulk and then um, uh, have a uh, ha- have a nice looking flower on the uh, on the other uh, on the on, on the other end of a one week long trip. Um, do you see? Have you seen any other types of uh, technologies like that uh, out there that are changing? Sh- changing the way cargos are moved or, or shipping? Not so much that. I mean, what you hear from the, like the, the ports talking about it, just the nature of the, the vessels themselves is that uh, the numbers of, of reefer containers that they're able to take on board, that they're, you know, equipped to, you know, connect by, you know, get electrify them while they're on board have increased dramatically. So, um, I mean, the, the, the shipments of fruit coming in from South America uh, have really increased dramatically. And, um, you know, as a consumer of fruit, I see it in the grocery stores, you know, just the, the year round availability of all sorts of, you know, fruits and vegetables that used to be so seasonal here. Um, and that, that they, they move that stuff in, uh, you know, and, and really, uh, really rapidly in large quantities on these ships now. So, um, that's kind of been the fo- focus of, I think, the Port of Philadelphia primarily. So um, your your days of covering the waterfront uh, have uh, are ending or have ended? Is that right? Yeah, they, well, we sort of shifted around a little bit with some beat structure here. So um, I'm still doing some energy stuff, but I've uh, cast my dice with an, an, an a new area. Well, yeah, tell me about that. It sounds <laughs> it sounds really fascinating. Well, I'm, I'm covering sports betting now on, on, as, as another thing. There's a lot of excitement uh, in, in Pennsylvania and New Jersey about the, the legalization last year of sports betting. Uh, New Jersey has uh, is like six or seven months into it. And Pennsylvania has just has uh, really just started in the last month. So uh, I'm digging in a lot on the, the business end of, of that, looking at how, you know, the whole thing operates, how much tax revenue it potentially could bring in. and uh, you know, the, the, the whole aim there is that there's a, there is a longstanding uh, business of sports betting, you know, throughout the country. It's just illegal. Um, so so it's, it's, it's now being, you know, incorporated into, you know, the legalized aspect. And um, I mean, it's going to be uh, it's already online as well in, in New Jersey. The thing that's pretty amazing is that New Jersey started up sports betting at sports books at some racetracks and casinos in Atlantic city, but you can access this throughout the state with, uh, you know, on these very sophisticated apps that are going to make your, you know, your neighborhood, you know, bookmaker uh, shiver in fear because, you know, I mean, you can, you can do all sorts of betting on there. You can, you know, cash out in the middle of a game and the odds are constantly changing depending upon the outcome of the game. And, um, it's, you know, it's a fascinating business. There's no maritime angle here, though, as there might be, say, in Iowa or where you you have to be out on a riverboat in order to gamble. There's no angle there, <laughs> right? No. Okay. No. And, uh, you know, we talked about this, uh, chatted online uh, uh, with, uh, w- with all uh, uh, sorts of uh, qualifications and disclaimers. What's the uh, what's the word on the Super Bowl from what you can see? Well, um, one 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 thing I know about you know covering sports betting is that I, I am not a good gambler, which is a good reason for me to be covering it. So I don't I don't I don't bet. 
Um, I mean, from, as a business, it's fascinating because, you know, it's, it's you know, the longer and more people bet, you know, the more certain it is they will lose. That's, that's, that's the nature of the business. Um, but anyway, but the, I think the, the, the New England Patriots are, I think, when I last checked, two, two and a half point favorites. And most of the uh, big Las Vegas bookmakers are reporting that it's been a, a heavy action on, on their side, either, you know, on the, you know, on the, the money line or with, you know, with the odds there. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm torn. If I bet, I bet emotionally. And as a, as a New Yorker, I'm supposed to hate new England, but I kind of like the idea of a, a, a 40 year old plus quarterback. So, uh, I may, I may have to, I may have to go with them on that. You're the, you're the sort of better that they love. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you bet emotionally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, well, listen. This has been uh, fun. We've been we've been chatting with uh, Andy Maketh, who was uh, covering the ports of Philadelphia and the huge, huge dredging project there. Uh, you can read um, Andy's stuff on Philly.com, um, and which is the website of the Philadelphia Inquirer and the and the Philadelphia Daily News. Um, and um, I re- we really appreciate you, uh, you, you listening. Um, this is Ship to Shore, where we try to show people how um, the ships out in the sea and those projects actually do relate to your, your daily life on shore. And uh, Andy, we thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure. Uh, today. Um, and folks, thank you for listening to the Ship to Shore podcast on ASPN. Be sure to subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network to get this and all the other great pods covering the American Shoreline from sea to shining sea.